morning, and welcome to this week's episode of Heads Up, a show that focuses on mental wellness. I'm retired school counselor, Sue Mullen, and with me this morning is my co-host, licensed family therapist, Diane Vaccarello. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, how are you? I am great, and I want you to know how happy I was to find a text from you first thing this morning. <laughs> Telling yeah. me how excited you are to do this week's episode, which uh, is going to focus, I think part one of this topic actually, is going to focus on being your authentic self. So I did what every good investigative reporter would do. I Googled the authentic self. Fantastic. To see what would come up. And there is a boatload of information on the internet about being authentic. So I can't wait to hear the Diane Vaccarello version of what it means to be your authentic self. Take it away. Fantastic. So yes, I woke up this morning and I cannot wait to talk about being real, about being authentic. It's something that I feel like at a mental health level, at a psychological wellness and physical wellness level, it's definitely the direction that we need to head and we need to teach our kids how to do this through our own understanding of what it means to be authentic as parents and as adults in this world. And I think uh, adults will get a lot out of it because we never really stop growing in this area is my belief that we can continue to reinforce what our authentic self is um, in all sorts of ways. Every single day we can reinforce it or we can sort of um, pull away from that. And the pulling away from that is really uh, very much tied to the angst around uh, anxiety and depression, which is a lot of what we've spoken about in previous episodes. So it's a nice compliment to that. All right, so give me a definition. I'm gonna see, we're gonna play, see how close Diane can get <laughs> to the Google. Uh, oh, fantastic, give, give okay. Me a definition of what the authentic self actually is. Well, the I think the cool part about this is that we all need to kind of come up with our own definition of what authenticity means to us. Mm -hmm. But I will give you some general sense of the idea that being authentic, living authentic is our core true self. It is being real. It is coming from a place where we have given some thought to what we actually think. Mm -hmm. You know, we um, living in our society, we're born into a world, I think our natural state, our alpha state is sometimes what it's referred to. And that natural self, um, kids, in other words, who are young are most really connected to their authentic self than sometimes adults are. In other words, we don't have to work that hard for it when we are just born into this world. But as we go along, things can pull us away from our authentic self. So the idea of this is how as adults can we reconnect with what's been in there the whole time? Okay, now I'm going to tell you what the Google says. Okay. Google says that to be authentic uh, means knowing yourself, being genuine, self-authored, which I thought uh, was an interesting, uh, interesting descriptor, knowing what you can and cannot change. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. Very. And basically knowing what your own beliefs values, personal traits, your own strengths and weaknesses, kind of being able to 
take a long view of yourself as a person. Exactly. A, a long view and a deep dive into what that is. Mm -hmm. We don't always give ourselves time to actually process and think and um, assess what that is. So sometimes, um, well, we're born into families, right? And so the family mm -hmm. itself has its own culture of values and all of these things that you mentioned. Um, we are within a society that has its own set of rules and values as well. So if we could talk today about the authentic self and the adaptive self, these are the two areas. That's right here, the adaptive and, self. Excellent. Sometimes it's also called the um, redesigned self. Mm -hmm. it, there's all sorts of words for it, but it's ultimately around the idea that um, throughout our growing up years that are very formative or childhood years, we are taught how to behave. We're taught sometimes what to think, you know, all sorts of things come into play. And we have to eventually get through to our teenage years. You know, let me start by saying as children, it's essential that we adapt to our environment, right? So that we can have a sense of safety and belonging. That sense of belonging is super strong. We're social creatures. And so that sense of belonging sometimes guides our adaptive self, meaning we have to come up with different adaptations in order to stay belonging with our tribe, with our group. Let me, let me, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Are we born as blank slates? I mean, how much of us is sort of pre-programmed traits that are affected by genetics? Uh, what exactly? Uh, what exactly is that sort of original self? So here's where, you know, you can read a lot of um, contradicting information to this or supporting information to this. I, in all of my professional career and personal experience, I come from a family of five different kids from the same parents, set of parents. So I'm integrating, obviously, my worldview in this answer. But I would definitely say it's both nature and nurture. We are born with certain genetics coding as well. So there's a physiological, biological component. I don't think that we're blank slates in that sense. So there's a biological piece. And obviously, the nature is very strong. We are informed by our environment and by interpersonal relationships. And so we acquire all sorts of information. Some of this information is really, really helpful for us. And we have an ad adaptive sort of response to it. But some of the um, information we don't need to carry on forever. We just need it temporarily to get through certain situations, but we don't need it in the long run. So there are certain adaptations that we need to sort of expire and say, hey, that worked for us before, but it's not really working for us currently. So let's just leave that one by the wayside and say thanks for the, the help. So some of these things are uh, kind of what we would consider, you referred to the nature part. So some of them, um, you know, whether or not you're a good sleeper, whether or not you're a picky eater, whether or not you have high or low energy levels. Exactly, whether, personality. Okay. Yeah, so those are the kinds of things that we think about when we're, when we're welcoming a new child to us yeah. and looking at them and saying, you know, not only, uh, gee, I hope he doesn't have my nose, but also I hope he doesn't have my anxiety, my the temperament, you know, um, so I think because it's a combination, you know, 
we need to focus on the idea that we adapt to our environment in a survival type of way, again, to reinforce a sense of belonging that's very critical for psychological well-being and quite literally survival, right? So then as we move into adolescence, part of the goal is to form an identity because as kids, young kids, we are only able to survive by depending on our parents or whoever is around us for caregivers. And then as uh, adolescents, our goal is to differentiate from our parents, from our system, from our caregivers and start to depend on ourselves. But we have to kind of figure out now we have to figure out, hey, what do I think about this? What do I like? That's why adolescents try on all sorts of things. Um, they sh it's helpful to try on all sorts of things because that's usually the more direct pathway to figuring out what works for me and what doesn't work for me. So you have to check in with your body and say, is this like what's going on right now? Am I ignoring that? And am I pushing away from that? Is that a costume that I'm, you know, you try on lots of costumes and right. um, you figure out which one actually connects. If we don't figure that out, we run the risk of continuing to use our adaptive self in order to feel like we belong or in order to feel like we're, that's the only way we can be successful. Um, but if we get to our authentic self along the way, then we can sort of like have uh, a lot less anxiety around all sorts of things. But if we're using our adaptive self and we can't genuinely figure out what our um, authentic self is because we're getting distracted by all sorts of influence, then we run the risk of having a little, you know, midlife crisis, existential crisis, you know, all sorts of things can come up. Right. Okay. So what does the authentic self look like? I mean, I, I think that people, people have all kinds of different ideas of what it means to be real or, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm sort of, um, I'm sort of intrigued by like whether or not there are building blocks or a foundational basis for the authentic self. There are definitely guidelines, I would say, in terms of um, bringing ourselves into that space. Um, and part of it is um, being truthful to ourselves, first and yep. foremost, but definitely to other people as well. Um, if we are not being truthful, even tiny little lies that might seem insignificant will start to sort of counteract that authentic self feeling. Mm -hmm. And we'll basically, we're, what we're telling ourselves is um, showing our real self or our real opinion or a real thought on the matter um, is going to cause us some risk perhaps, or that we just can't quite um, that we're not good enough, actually, you know, and that judgment around us not being good enough comes out in these, um, this sense of lying. And if we subscribe to that over and over without doing something about it, then we start slipping back into an adaptive or persona self. Um, right. I'm kind of fascinated by your use of the term lying, because I think that when we consider the aspect of lying, we can, we think about it as being intentional. Mm -hmm. you know, like people don't tell the truth, but, you know, people know they're not telling the truth. They just choose not to tell the truth. Right. But when you're talking about lying from an emotional point of view, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes, right. That means um, holding your opinion and not speaking the, your truth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it means being what we refer to as a people pleaser. 
Exactly. And that you're kind of hiding what it is that you think and feel and deferring to somebody else. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And that deferring to somebody else sort of, again, sets up this messaging back to yourself that you don't, your opinion isn't valid or that the other person's opinion is more important. I mean, opinions are just opinions, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that um, it can come in very subtle mm -hmm. ways and somebody can, you could be very comfortable in um, your living room, for example, and somebody can, you know, send you a message and say, Hey, I was wondering if you, you know, wanted to do X, Y, or Z and, and the internal subtle, um, angst around the idea. If you say yes, when you actually really don't want to do that, it doesn't mean you don't want to be with that person maybe, or maybe you don't, but if you say yes, and you actually really, really genuinely don't want to do that, those are the tiny little inconsistencies, incongruities that can lead to other layers of incongruity. And of course, you know, again, we want to belong. We want a sense of, you know, being included. And so that's why it's a constant sort of um, understanding of what is most important to you in those moments and um, being honest. So, so the goal I mean, if we look at the sort of the goal of, of being your authentic self, um, I, a number of things come to mind for me. So the goal is to be genuine. The goal is to own your own opinions, feelings, thoughts. The goal is to be able to look at things realistically and accept the fact that you, me, everyone uh, has strengths and weaknesses, imperfections, flaws, right? Yeah, it, because if we if we act as if somebody else doesn't, or we act as if we don't, or we grow um, children into adults who think that they can't show that, um, mm -hmm. and if we as adults don't show that with our kids, then there is an acquired belief system um, that the goal is to be sort of perfect, never make mistakes, not show the flaws and that kind of thing. But if we can integrate and realize that, yeah, these, there are all sorts of imperfections, um, we're perfectly imperfect, you know, and that's okay and it's acceptable, then we can have a genuine, authentic relationship with someone because they genuinely, authentically accept us for who they are, who we are. Then we're golden. We've got both merged together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it, it, it makes sense. It's just, it seems like a very daunting task to get there. Um, what is it, what interferes with our ability to be this way? So early on, if we go from, you know, along the life cycle stage, mm -hmm. we can, um, I'm just coming up with a very subtle example of how um, we want to, uh, we have to balance this and it is challenging because we live in society. So we could have a scenario where um, parents are saying, okay, hurry up and eat your snack or we need to eat the snack now so we can get in the car and get to where we're going. This is where I feel like COVID has helped a little bit. We don't have quite the rush to get to a certain place at a certain time. Of yeah. course, we still do with some things, but maybe not as much with others for a tiny period of time. So we end up saying, eat your snack and then we'll hop in the car. And then your, the idea is to set it up all successful, right? The kids have had gone to the bathroom, their stomach is full because if we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? That yeah. we kind of like are more at risk for sort of 
other things affecting us. So we try and set it up for success. Along the way, there's all sorts of things that happen where we're basically sometimes saying to a child, you know, eat because we need to go as opposed to eat because you feel hungry. Your body isn't hungry. It's not telling you you're hungry, but if we start eating because we have to organize around this other thing, we start to lose track of like our connection with our body. Just a small, tiny little seed that gets planted, right? But as adults across the lifetime, if we are then, um, we've had a long day, we're up at night and we start eating because we're actually not hungry, but we're understimulated by our job or by certain relationship or whatever. And we're actually eating because the texture, the color, it creates dopamine in our brain. Again, we're connecting to something biological in a sense. Um, it's a feel good hormone, but it's not hunger, right? So I'm having, yeah, I'm having this, uh, ding, ding, ding moment in my head right now. Yeah. Uh, and it goes like this. No, little Diane, you're not hungry. No, little Diane, you're not, you're not afraid. You're not, uh, lonely. You're not, you're, uh, it's the denial of state. Yes. And all sorts of things can come into that fold. Right. And we start questioning, Oh, all right. I thought that's what that was, you know, but I guess it's not. And so we can go down these pathways. So when we're raising children into adults, we're wanting to see through their eyes as much as we can. We want to find out and connect with our kids and our adult relationships and all sorts of relationships. What is coming through their eyes, not necessarily imploring our opinion or, you know, as as parents, we want to teach, we want to guide, we want to set up for success. At the same time, we need to find a way of doing that while not necessarily telling somebody constantly how they think and feel, especially how they feel. Oh, we start doing it. I mean, we start yeah. ascribing motive at birth. Yes, right? exactly. Leave that crying baby in the crib because yep. that baby. Oh, you're hungry. <laughs> like Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It must be food. It must be whatever. Uh, Oh, fascinating. So if we can allow ourselves to um, create a culture where we can talk, we can be in some discomfort and we can kind of sit with it, slow it down a little bit, say what is coming up for you? How, what is, where do you feel that in your body? right? We can basically start to reconnect with our true self, with what it is that, and we can start um, creating a confidence, secure relationship and connection with ourself, esteem wise, that we do know what works for us. That's what builds self-esteem. That's what combats depression. You know, um, depression is like a veil or a lens that comes across that actually, um, sets a person up to thinking that that's what the reality is. And they start questioning the other things that aren't reality. And they look through that lens and say, oh yeah, this is, I'm not that good at this. You know, they start all sorts of I am statements and that becomes the reality. And it's really tough because it becomes like a belief system that, you know, can become pervasive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times with depression, it's like re um, framing thought and reconnecting with a body long enough to help to peel that veil away and realize, 
oh, this is how it actually looks, you right. know what I mean? And how it actually feels. And when we talk about anxiety, when we are disjointed from our genuine self, it's anxiety provoking. Again, the anxiety comes from a sense of not wanting to not belong. And so when we start becoming a people pleaser and we start saying what we think people might want to hear, we're trying to, again, belong, right? When we don't want to rock the boat and we're in a space where we're just sort of like, okay, whatever you decide for food is just fine. We just don't want to make waves. But if we do that for too long and we do that in ways that are really disjointed from ourselves, we start to blend in too much. We become boring. We we actually or start anything or, or angry angry or resentful. Mm-hmm. All sorts of emotions come up and even anxiety is at sort of like the root of it because it's like a frenetic energy that is basically saying I'm not settled in to to myself right now. And right. We start to organize ourselves around being a different type of person. And then the panic sets in that if the, the people that we're trying to please are joined with that self, that persona self, mm-hmm. and they find out that that's not our real self, are they going to still love us or want to be with us? So then you have to worry that you pull that curtain away, like the Wizard of Oz, the little guy back there still cranky, right? Away, right? He's yeah, not very- it's, yeah, it's interesting to me because when I said um, uh, our viewing audience, if they're tuning in for the first time, they don't realize that this is not a scripted show. We don't set yeah. up, but we don't even have an outline when we come into it. It's sort of let's pick a topic and yeah. you do your thing. I do my thing. Let's go with it. Yeah. So um, when you started talking about the adaptive self, mm-hmm. um, my thoughts around the adaptive self this week are, uh, you know, how does the adaptive self show itself at work? How yeah. does it show itself in a marriage? How does it show itself in friendships? Yeah. How does, uh, because I think that this idea that there's the us behind the curtain, right? Yeah. There's everybody's got that internal sense yeah. of self. Yeah. But really the adaptation part has to do a lot with how much do we allow people to see that inner self right and when do we start putting on costumes and hiding things or adapting things right to somebody else Exactly right. And it can be, again, adaptations can be very important to have. And they've helped us out a great deal because our authentic self got hurt. It got injured. It actually did get rejected or whatever the case may be. But that adaptive self can be a development that's constructed that basically somebody who's like super organized. I'm just saying as an example, who is, um, very organized and all pulled together, you know, um, is acquired because they start getting positive feedback loops created and people are like, oh, wow, that's, you know, but then it's sort of like that becomes the identity that people are attaching to. And it takes a lot of courage to have a conversation between the adaptive self and the authentic self and reassure that authentic self that I'll still be here if you need me, but I'm going to step back a little bit because I think you can step forward with this person or you create some different um, connections 
mm-hmm. multi-fat, like many layers in, in bed sheets, right? Like 800 layer per kale or 300 is better right. than like a hundred, right? Yeah. You, you add all these different things to create real sense of security. Let's come out with a little courage and bravery and present from your authentic self and see what happens. And I'll be here if you need me, you know what I mean? So you kind of like have to be encouraging at that level to let your real self come out. I think this information um, is extremely helpful, if not eye-opening, particularly for people. I'm sure you have uh, family members and friends who, who say to you, I'm just not happy, but I don't know why. Like yeah. I, I've got what I need. You know, I, 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 I have a roof over my head and food yeah. on my table and, uh, you know, people who love me and whatever. But I can't figure out what it is, why I'm not ha- happy. Yeah. So I think this information could be exceptionally helpful to, uh, to people who find themselves in that situation. Exactly. And, and seeing that as a symptom of some way of developing this a little bit further, because instead of just saying, I've got all of this and I'm still not happy. What is that? Like, what is wrong with me? Right. And just seeing right. it at that. Right. right. So we are uh, at the magical three minute mark. Okay. It's always when I start, you know, sort of giving you the wink and the nod. <laughs> um, I am hoping that when we come back to continue this discussion next week, that I am able to produce for you some, you know, real life examples of when the authentic self might be getting squelched down and what kinds of things uh, we might do about it. That sounds fantastic. I just want to um, applaud your discretion and draw the audience's attention to the fact that I've got this cat. <laughs> I've got this cat on, on my you shirt. You really do. And yeah. Um, I'm sure that the audience has seen the Zoom videos of the poor attorney that didn't know how to get rid of the cat filter on uh, on Zoom. <laughs> so uh, that and you know that part of my authentic self is that I actually own this cat. It looks exactly like that. Yes. Yes. And uh, being able to say that on screen to say yes. <laughs> I, I am a cat person. I love my kitties. Uh, is again relating back to this idea of authentic self, being yes. able to own your feelings and your impressions and your opinions. Exactly. And that we don't need to judge somebody who has a cat who really loves them and that they really love their cat. And the cat just wants to reach up sometimes and say, hey, Sue. <laughs> like, right. So, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Do you have any uh, any other assignments for me as we move? Forward? No, I'd like I'd like us to. I'm happy to share some real life examples. I think that would be fantastic. And um, I'd also like us to each come up with some of our own um, thinking along the lines of how have we come to understand our own authentic selves, because yeah. I think each journey is its own customized approach. And I really am curious if you have anything to share about that. Oh, I have loads to share because in preparing uh, myself to meet with you this morning, um, yeah, I realized that right now in 2021, I have real life examples of of when I haven't been entirely authentic. 
Mm-hmm. And it makes me really anxious. Yes. It makes me really anxious. Okay. Great. Until next week. Yep. You have a good one. Thanks, you too. And uh, touch base with me in between if you want. Otherwise, I'll see you uh, next week. Sounds Same good. Time. All Thanks, right, Diane. Have a good week. You too. Bye. Bye. So if you're feeling lost and tired, if you're feeling uninspired,